When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Doug Maurice and Scott Patsko. And Scott, I don't know if we are about to embark on a peak for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast or a new low. And I don't know if this podcast that we're about to present to our loyal audience is genius or a sign of how desperate we are for camp to start because we're out of things to talk about doing a five days a week podcast about the Cleveland Browns. Scott, we are going to do a little dip into a little bit of analytics football talk, but we're going to balance it out with, I don't even know what to call this. It is the most 80s thing I've ever seen. There are shirtless Cleveland Browns. There is 80s rock. And Scott, this was your idea. We are talking about the Masters of the Gridiron Cleveland Browns 17-minute video from 1986. And this, having now watched this, having become aware of its existence for the Wait, first time. So are you time, telling me you, you had never seen it? So here's, here's what I'm worried about. Here's why I'm nervous about this podcast. So Mary Kay's from around here, right? Dan's, is Dan from around here? Is Dan like grew up in the Cleveland yeah. area generally? Yeah. yeah. You, you grew up in the Cleveland area generally, right? Yes. Terry's yes. For, Terry Pluto's from around here, right? Uh, and Ellis Williams and I are not. I grew up in Pennsylvania and listen, I, I very much believe in the idea of, I think the best when you have a team, people covering a team, I think it's good to have like people with homegrown local knowledge who grew up around the team, but I don't think you're automatically disqualified from like, well, you weren't born here. You can't cover a team. Cause then it's like, well, you could only cover the team where you were born and you can't control where you were born. So I'm, I grew up in Pennsylvania. This made me feel more like an outsider than anything I've ever done on this beat. And the idea that now I am panicked that like, as long as I've been writing or talking about the Browns, that every single person that has been reading or listening to me has been aware of Masters of the Gridiron is like, oh, Masters of the Gridiron. That's like a fundamental part of knowing the Browns. And I'm like, what is this? So I was never aware of this before. Scott, am I just the ultimate outsider? Is this, is anybody who was alive in 1986 in Cleveland aware of this? And are a bunch of people who weren't alive in 1986, have they been taught this? Because is Masters of the Gridiron an important piece of Brown's history? Yes, it is. Two things. <laughs> Number one, I think it's important that you saw this. This, And not only this, but also draft day, because this could be a very big season for the Browns. And I think to cover it correctly, you need to have the full scope of, of understanding the Browns and what, what fans have, have gone through and, and endured. And I think draft day and, and Masters of the gridiron are included in that. So I'm glad, I'm glad you finally seen this. I do think that I understand that since you didn't grow up here, you probably didn't know about it. It obviously did not hit on the scale of the Super Bowl shuffle or, or many of the other uh, like, you know, takeoffs on that because 
Super Bowl shuffle just kind of set off a whole interest, you know, sideshow in the music industry of, of, of rap videos and just music videos in general. The Browns went obviously completely different direction with their, with their deal. But uh, I do think it's important that you saw that uh, because I think it's going to help you as a reporter going forward. Thank you. And I, and I feel bad. I feel bad, but I do feel like I have a deeper understanding of this. So let, let me ask you this. We were like, Hey, what should we talk about? you know, for the Wednesday podcast. And, and I was basically like, I can't, I can't talk about like Nick Chubb's contract anymore. I just have nothing else to say. Every time I feel like every podcast, every time we're on the Clee show with Dave Bacon, it's like, who should they sign first? Nick Chubb or Denzel Ward? It's like, I can't do it. So you're like, well, I don't know. There's a music video from the eighties. Why did you want to talk about this? We, we need, uh, we're going to be talking about the Browns nonstop for the next, at least the next five months. Right. This uh, training camp starts next week. We needed something else to just kind of clear the palette, you know, and just kind of refresh, reset something that really doesn't have anything to do with this year's team. Although I will argue that this does kind of tie into to this year's team, which because I think this year's team clearly needs some sort of hype video. Um, so that kind of led me down this path. And, and I'm so glad I did because the fact that you had never seen it before I really want to get a, a fresh take on this because I actually wrote about this back in 2016. Thanks for not reading that, by the way. I just and, read uh, it. I just <laughs> read it. I didn't read it then. I'm sorry. I, it was like of all the stuff I read, it was like I didn't happen to catch the thing about the Conan the Barbarian movie that the Browns made. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, that was the 30th anniversary. Uh, and they had a bunch of the guys from that team. I, I forget. I don't think it was a preseason game against the Jets. They had them all back. But that's why I ended up writing about it, because a lot of those guys were in were in this movie. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a good chance to just take a breath, step away, have some fun. Remember an important piece of Brown's history, because this is, as we're going to hear over and over, the 75th anniversary of this franchise. Yeah. Is this on lists? Like when people talk about like the 75, everyone's doing a list, right? The 75 greatest moments, the 75 most memorable things about the Browns. Is Masters of the Gridiron like in the top 25? Where does this fit in? Oh, this is a top 10, right? For real? I don't, know. Top 10. I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> you're in 1986. How old are you? What are you like, 14 or 12? You're 16. 16. Yes. So, like, was your mind blown? Did you watch this a thousand times? Did you buy the VHS tape? What did this mean to 16 year old Scott Patsko? I saw this on TV. I don't know who showed it. I did not own the video, but I remember seeing this on TV. I don't know if it was one of the local TV stations. Uh, showed it at some point, but I do remember sitting in front of the TV and watching it uh, when I was in, when I was in high school. And I mean, at that point, looking back on it now, yeah, there's a lot of uh, cheese factor in this, but at that point, you know, everybody's wrapped up in the Browns there uh, at that. They were right, you know, kind of on the cusp of becoming uh, what they would become for the next few years. So they were kind of gaining, gaining fans back after kind of that, dead period in between the cardiac kids and Bernie Kosar's arrival. So yeah, I definitely remember it. And uh, I think some of the wind was taken out of it when they, of course, when they lost to lost to the Broncos and didn't get to where they wanted to go. But, but I definitely remember watching it on TV. I liked that the, uh, the end of the piece you wrote a couple of years ago was about how like, and they lost to the Broncos, one of the most devastating defeats in franchise history. And also Mike Babb and his wife lost a bunch of money. <laughs> Because yeah. they couldn't, they didn't, they couldn't sell this video internationally because nobody <laughs> wanted it once they didn't make the Super Bowl. 
Um, so let me ask this. So again, Scott, do we need to, are the people listening to this, right? So this is 35 years ago. Do people, do we need to explain it to people? Or is everybody like, oh, no, no, Masters of the Gridiron. Would this be the equivalent of explaining like the Cleveland Browns are a team? They throw an oblong ball. They have to get 10 yards for a first down. Like, is this, how fundamental is this? Or are there people listening right now who are like, what are you talking about? I think we need, we probably need a synopsis um, because I think there's going to be people who are learning about it for the first time. We, we know that this, this Browns team, there's like a lost generation. We've written about that and talked about yeah. it, you know, from uh, when they left and they came back and they were so bad and just people did not become Browns fans. So yeah, I'm sure there are people who don't know what we're talking about, but I know that there are people who probably own this on VHS or, you know, whatever. And, and you can, there, there's like, six or seven copies of it on YouTube. You can check it out. It's 17 minutes long. Pause us, go watch it. But yeah, it's, it's very easy to find. So I will say, so it's, it's 1743 on the cut I watched on YouTube. Uh, the closing credits are three and a half minutes long. It is the <laughs> yeah. longest closing credits I've ever seen. The opening credits are 40 seconds long. So it's actually more like a 13 minute movie. And then there's a, a music video in the middle of it where the Browns are fighting ninjas in the woods and the Michael Stanley band is just singing in the stadium. And that's three and a half minutes. So it's actually only like 10 minutes of actual quote movie. Mm-hmm. But as you write in the piece, Mike Babb, they're playing in a game. Mike Babb gets knocked out. And again, it's like one of the effects of, of concussions is you dream about being a barbarian running through the woods. Apparently. <laughs> so that's the setup of he has this dream. He's like a Conan the Barbarian type. They have to go claim the masters of the gridiron ring. And so he gets like 10 teammates. And it's just these guys running through the woods, fighting ninjas. Tiny Tim, who is like the ultimate like D-list celebrity, is like the, the weird like dark wizard in this thing. And then at the end, they like get the masters of the gridiron ring. And the thing that I couldn't, they are, they are the clan of Modella which is like the thing that stopped me in my tracks of like, <laughs> Oh, if they only what? knew then. <laughs> yeah, for real. And like what are, and, and that this, and again, you wrote, you wrote all about this. People can find it. If they Google Scott Patsko and masters of the gridiron, you'll find this. But the idea that they are, um, what's the thing about they're fighting like for the, something that, Oh, ruler of the city by the lake called Erie. Is like it's very, but also, so this is Conan the Barbarian, but it also like in modern times, it's like 60% kind of Game of Thrones kind of stuff in here. Like it's, there's a lot of shirtless people. There are shirtless yeah. people in the stands and there are shirtless football players running through the woods. But we sort of swung back around from this Conan the Barbarian, Arnold Schwarzenegger era back into it in Game of Thrones. And so like the premise of it, it's like, oh, yeah, like a bunch of like shirtless, tough guys, like running around in the woods with swords. It's like, no, that fits. People like that kind of stuff. So it actually is back in vogue now. Yeah. And I think Lord of the Rings, too. You probably add that in there. That was kind of the, the precursor to the whole Game of Thrones uh, scene. But, yeah, I think seeing that, it makes you could kind of buy into it a little bit. And obviously at that time, the, the Conan movies, uh, I think I don't know how many they had done by then, but I'm sure they had done more than one. Uh, and it was kind of well known that Bab was was into Conan the Barbarian. Obviously, that was his regular nickname, Barbarian, uh, during that time. So that wasn't too uh, 
that just seemed to like fit. Like, of course, if they're going to do something and he's going to be at the middle of it, it's going to be Conan the Barbarian and, and that's going to be the whole premise. So yeah, he just got all his buddies together and they started running around uh, a park out in Willoughby Hills and, and, uh, and got it done. The, the thing that is that most blows your mind is getting like 10 professional athletes to do this. Like, I cannot believe. And it's not like Scrubs. Clay Matthews is in this. Ozzie Newsom is in this. Ernest Biner and Kevin Mack are in this. Hanford Dixon is in this. It is like a who's who. Because sometimes you do this and it's like, oh, you know, like I get a backup offensive lineman. Like, what else do they have going on? <laughs> I think this might be the, the reason Clay Matthews isn't in the Hall of Fame. Like, this is how the how he's Clay Matthews. How is he part of this? Hey, Babbitt said there are teammates who tell him now that they wish they had done it. You know, Bernie Kosar obviously is the, the big guy missing. But, uh, you know, guys like Brian Brennan, I guess, have said that they, they wish they had participated in it. You know, by the way, Mike Babb, like, <laughs> he, he's the center in 1986. Seeing him running around the woods, I'm like – he does not look like a center of today at all. He's like a tight end or a defensive end today. Yeah. You know, uh, 6'4", 270. That's, that's Miles Garrett size. That was your center back in 1986. You know, J.C. Trudder is like a 300-pounder as right. a center. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know how, how that would work with, with any of the linemen the Browns have today filling that role. But uh, it didn't seem to take much convincing. I mean, they did it for charity. Obviously, there wasn't uh, a deal of where they were uh, – just trying to make money. Oh, this was going to, I think, to United Way. That's what I wrote. Um, yeah. So you know what you yeah, can also it, do for charity? Just cut them like a five thousand dollar check. You don't have to run around in the woods with like face paint this on. This is so much better. This is so I, much better. I will tell you, I thought both of these things simultaneously. I thought this Mike Bab guy is nuts. This is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe this exists. And I also thought to myself, you know what? He's pretty ripped. He's pretty handsome. He's not a bad actor. I actually think he could be an action star. Like he is struck. Like he he's got some screen presence. Like he's pretty charismatic. And it's funny. It's like he's the guy with the lines. Ozzy Newsom literally like shows up, like has a like a like a fur robe on, has like blue and red paint on his torso, and then just runs over a bridge in the woods. It doesn't say a word. Like it's like Ozzy Newsom's like ah we don't. Just show up and run around. Mike Babb's like, I'll take all the lines. Well, I think this is this is pretty much what launched Bob Golick's uh, acting career, right? Because he ended up on that Saved by the Bell uh, spinoff years later. I think I, you can probably trace the origins of that to this. He took Mike Babb's spot. I think Mike Babb, like Mike Babb must be like, why is Golick the acting star? This is my corner. I can't believe that this happened. So again, the idea that guys did this, they also have a locker room scene early on where it's like, Hey guys are getting taped up or whatever. And then who's the guy who comes in and says, I have a telegram from the mayor. I think that's, was that Dino? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, he was kind of the media rep uh, back in the day. And this is the, the, the line. He, he comes in and it's like, he says, I've got a telegram from the mayor and this is the mayor's message. Good luck out there today. I'd really like to see you go win a ring for the city of Cleveland or something. Like, it's like this, it's like a nothing line. And everybody goes, yay, they all <laughs> cheer. It's like you're in a football locker room where players. So this is one of those things that, again, you'll read, you know, we all know this. 
you look back, it's like, oh, like in the 50s, professional athletes, like in the off season, you know, were accountants or whatever, because like back then being a professional athlete, like wasn't necessarily enough to like make a living. It's like, oh, I also like, I, I work at the community pool. I'm a lifeguard in the off season. You know what I mean? Like all these weird stories. And then this is like the idea that, because I don't think, could you get like 10 millionaires on the Browns to do this now? But back then yeah. it's like, well, they were 35 years ago. There are just enough closer to like, quote, normal people that you're not begging millionaires to do this. So I think it's like an evolution of like, there was a time when, you know, whatever, in the 50s, they were like this. And now everybody's a millionaire. And this is kind of an in-between thing that I'm not saying that Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett wouldn't do this, but you'd have to go through their agents and their managers. And like, I don't even know what it would look like. And this just seemed like of an era where a guy could say to 10 of his teammates, hey, you want to go meet me in the woods on a Saturday? And guy's like, yeah, that's cool. First off, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, and Odell Beckham, they very much should do this, and I'll get to that in a minute. But number two, you're right about guys, like just the whole different landscape of the NFL, because if you go back and look at like 80, 81, 82 NFL uh, trading cards, I think it was maybe 81, like you turned them over and they had all the stats, but they also had uh, these little nuggets about the players, like uh, – like Clarence Scott got a you know law degree over the summer, or you know Brian Sleip is works on building homes and it's all these different things. You know Jerry Shirk is a part time photographer and all these things that these guys did. You know with their spare time that obviously that you know these guys aren't doing now. It's just it's just a different world altogether. All right, we got to take a break. I got to clear my head. We'll be right back in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Doug and Scott. Back on the pod talking about Masters of the Gridiron again. I think there's two things happening here, Scott. One is people going, yeah, Masters of the Gridiron. What is wrong with Doug? And then they're like, yeah, Matt. They're like, of course, We're, you guys talk about Masters of the Gridiron is the most natural thing in the world. It's Masters of the Gridiron. And then there, I, I would imagine there are at least a couple people being like, what? And they are going to YouTube like right now because they're like, what are you talking about? So I think those are the only two choices. But Scott, could should we see a version of this? Like what and who who would you want to see? Again, I was trying to count. There's about 10 guys in the woods, maybe 11, running in the woods, face paint on, various barbarian clothing, and then they fight ninjas. Could you see the 2021 Browns doing a version of this? I I, I very much want to see a 2021 Browns version. <laughs> Uh, players doing this. I think the, the way I came to this is I thought this is such a big season of expectation, right? And the Browns, like they, this group needs something like this. Like this needs to be rebooted or maybe just like a sequel. Like you get Baker and Odell and you get them on board. And I think Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett would do it tomorrow. I think you get those guys to buy in and you'll get however many guys you need to be in the woods doing this. But, you know, there's that, there's that uh, two week stretch between the last preseason game and week one this year, because there's only three preseason games. You get everybody together. And one of those days that you got off, you go back out to Willoughby Hills. I don't know if the castle is still there or not, but you, you can find something. And you also get as many of the original cast members as you can. And those are like the old timers. And, 
you know, they're summoned to go to go meet these guys because, you know, they fought for years to try and get the ring, but ultimately it didn't work. And, but they think this group is the chosen one, right? So they, they send them off on the quest to get the ring. Now, Tiny Tim isn't with us anymore, but Alice Cooper very much is. And I think this role was made for him. I mean, he basically steals uh, an Alice Cooper album title when, uh, when we meet Tiny Tim, when he tells him to welcome to my nightmare. I mean, th- it like rates itself, right? Because <laughs> two notes I would suggest though. One, don't base it around a guy getting knocked out, obviously. Yes. But maybe it's like, Maybe it's Baker, like he's like he's going through a marathon of filming progressive films and he's been working for 10 hours and he's just exhausted. And he's got to go somewhere in the stadium and take a nap. So he he finds some closet somewhere and he lays down and that's kind of where, where we get to to everything kind of rolling. The other thing, the fight scene, don't do like a battle with swords and karate or whatever bear fighting, whatever else was going on. <laughs> and the, by the way, the bear. I don't know if you noticed, there's a couple of fight scenes where it's just like chained up in the corner of the screen, like kind of walking around eating grass. <laughs> but you don't do that. You don't do any of that. What you do, the battles are fought with dancing and touchdown celebrations. Oh. Like that's what this group is about. Like if you go to Browns practice or even you watch the Browns in pregame or obviously after they score, it's all about dancing and, and stuff like that. That's how they fight. And like, I don't know who you get to do the music montage because obviously, unfortunately, Michael Stanley no longer with us either, but Ryan Wolf is the team DJ. I'm sure he can come up with something. I mean, it like, it all just falls into place. Like once you commit to it, this would be so easy. And then you film it before the season, like I said, and as soon as the Browns clinch the playoff spot, boom, you release it and, and you're set to go. But this clearly needs a reboot. And I think it would be awesome. Because this is, they filmed it before the season and, and released it after week nine when they were six and three. Like they were kind of like, okay, well, we got to, we have to sort of earn the right to release this crazy little movie. And it's like, oh, we're six and three. Like, uh, you know, let's go. Um, yeah. So do you have a cast in mind? I mean, I do think like when you're thinking about who do I want to see, it's like, well, I would like to see like David and Joku, like as a barbarian running around. I'd like to see Joel Batonio as a barbarian running around. Like I, I, I'd like to see, yes. you know, like, uh, I don't know, Ronnie Harrison okay. or whatever. Like, I, I, I feel like there's enough. There are multiple options for guys on this team who you might be able to round up like 10 dudes to do this. Oh, definitely. I think, like I said, Baker, Odell, and Miles Garrett, I think are must-haves. Nick Chubb, I think would be great. Like Nick, Nick Chubb, like he's an action star waiting to happen. Like put him in a Mad Max movie where he has no lines. Like, I think he would be great. <laughs> and I, thought, yeah. I think he would, work. he would work with something like this. I could see Jarvis doing this. I could see Jarvis doing this, right? Wyatt Teller? Oh, my God. You get Wyatt Teller? He could be carrying an alligator on his back. Wrestling alligator. reason. <laughs> I also want to, the and again, I don't have an appreciation for this. As you said, Michael Stanley recently passed away. The idea that in the middle of this, the Michael Stanley band is just playing a song called Hard Die the Heroes. Mm-hmm. In the stadium, it's like a, it's a music video in the, that's the backdrop for while the Browns are fighting ninjas. Did that just fit? Like, was that just like, oh, yeah, it's a Michael Stanley band. Of course, they're like singing a, a Heartland rock song in the middle of this video. What, what else would you put in there? Did that make total sense to 16-year-old Scott Patsko? Yes, because weird, like, music montages are like, they've, they've been like, they've always been a thing. The one thing that was kind of weird is actually seeing the band 
like going back and watching it now, back then, I mean, it was Michael Stanley and I think they, they already have, they'd already had their biggest hits at that point. They were as well known as they were going to be, but that didn't phase me at all. But going back now and watching it, I'm like, well, this is weird. Like you're actually seeing the band and they're just doing such eighties things, you know? They had the shot of the four, like the band members' heads in profile lined up in a line, which is like so 80s. Yeah. And and he's just kind of walking around the stadium by himself and singing. So, yeah, that was kind of weird. I don't think you definitely need that in the reboot, but you do need you do need some music because, like I said, the battle scenes need to be fought with dancing and touchdown celebrations. I think that that's that's like the climax of this thing, I think. Yeah. And I will say the idea of you suggest like Alice Cooper in the tiny Tim role. Again, that's the Lord of the league that he's like this guy who like has the ring. Right. And they're trying to get the masters of the gridiron ring. Given how much Roger Goodell was in draft day. I think Roger Goodell might do it. Roger Goodell's like, Oh, you guys are doing a movie. You need someone to be the Lord of the league. I'm there. Where's the castle. Just tell me what time to show up. Roger Goodell would be like, put me in a cloak, man. I'm good to go. There's a scene in this where somebody's choking Tiny Tim. I don't know if, or, or just kind of just hitting Tiny Tim over and over. I don't know who you get to uh, to do that to Roger Goodell, but I'm sure there would probably be a, a long line of people auditioning for that role. I also like the fact that there's like there's a part where like everybody's like kind of getting their weapons. Mike, like there's guys like throwing a javelin and like guys have clubs and stuff, and then a guy just has a shotgun. Some- yeah, Ernest Biner, like the whole fight scene, all I can think of, they're all fighting and kicking and punching and swords. I'm like, Ernest Biner had a shotgun. Why is this fight taking longer than two minutes? Yeah. I don't know what era this is. I thought it was like medieval times, but that guy has a shotgun. So, <laughs> and then at one point also, like when Tiny Tim calls for the ring, he calls for the ring wench. And I was like, I don't know if that would, I don't know if that's how we'd <laughs> phrase that today. Ring wench. Oh, the 80s. Okay, I feel indoctrinated now. Mm-hmm. I, I will write better and talk more, more eloquently about the Browns this season because I have seen this video. So thank you, Scott, for that. I, I, I almost like would be curious, Scott, to run a poll with the tech subscribers to say, had you seen Masters of the Gridiron? before this podcast. And because I think sometimes the text subscribers, not all of them, but it does. I mean, it's texts. So sometimes it does skew a little younger. Although I know we have a lot of longtime loyal veteran Browns fans who are on that too. I would be curious. I don't know. Like if we, so because, you know, and if you guys want to be a Browns insider, you get texts in your phone from Scott, from Dan, from Mary Kay, from Ellis, that instant news and analysis. That is like, if you love the Browns, it's just so worth it. And again, Maybe you've never tried it. Maybe you've, I don't know, done it and then, you know, backed off for a little bit. Like, it's here. Camp is starting next week. This is the time to get into this. As a Browns insider, you get those texts. You get access to the daily newsletter, that special little bit of insight and analysis, a written piece of several hundred words, again, by one of our great Browns staff writers that only you get as an insider. And then you make sure that you get access to every single story on cleveland.com. Because we put out a lot of great stuff that's out there for everybody in the world. But listen, man, like, again, like, we, we, it's, not, it's not a hobby. These are our jobs. We have to make money. So there's some of those stories that are, that are for insiders, for subscribers. So, like, you just get a lot. You get a it's great bang for the buck. I think it's a great gift. If you've got 
I don't know, somebody's birthday coming up, give them an early Christmas present. There's so much stuff you have. You accumulate so much stuff. I love gifts that are, don't take up space. But if you know somebody who's a Browns fan, it's like, hey, I'm going to get you that Browns insider thing. So you go to cleveland.com slash Browns. You click on the blue banner. You get all the info. It's easy to sign up. And it's just one of those things, Scott, I always think like, well, if you care about the Browns to be listening to this right now, you care enough to at least think about being an insider. So go check it out. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner and see what you think. But I would be curious, Scott, like what percent do you think of our insiders have knowledge of Masters of the Gridiron? Like, is this so, is this just so fundamental to being a Browns fan that it's like 90% or that it's 35 years ago? Could it be like 50%? I think, I think it's closer to 50. I don't think it's 90 at all. I think it's closer to that 50, maybe 60% range because, and I'm definitely going to do a poll to, to, to ask that because Based on other things I've asked our subscribers, a lot of this stuff does skew a little more recent, I've found, uh, whether I ask them to, to kind of, na- whether it's like naming uh, players who they think should be in the Hall of Fame or players that they're, they're their favorite, they're, they're the most fun watching, or it does skew a lot. We do have some people who are very vocal uh, old-timers who've been around and, and watched this team for a long time, but I would bet that a, a good percentage of, of our textures, we might be introducing them to this. Okay. And it's funny as much as like, I'm like sort of making fun of this. We also like did a whole thing last year where we like turned the Browns into star Wars characters. <laughs> that is true. By the way, what, there's like a cameo of Darth Vader and what I originally thought was princess Leia right at the beginning of this video. Like it's just oh, a real well, snip. And then you that. find out, well, no, that's not princess Leia. It's some dude uh, who sends, you know, Mike Babb on his quest, but I'm like, uh, does Disney know about this? Yeah, for real. <laughs> I don't know if that would be uh, be doable uh, today. Yeah, bringing this back into the mainstream, Scott, you're going to get the Browns retroactively sued by Disney for uh, exactly. using Princess Leia and Darth Vader without a license. Yeah. So yeah, we did. I mean, we made a we made Chubba the Hunt and uh, Jarvisi and the Wise and all the uh, QB Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, Stephandalorian. So I mean, it's like, oh, you guys are so weird for doing like a fantasy thing. With I was like, we did that too. Okay. I hope I hope we open some eyes, Scott. Let's take our last quick break and then come back and just do dip into football because there's something that I want to get your opinion about as it relates to the podcast with Aaron Schatz that was our Tuesday version of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and I want to see what you think. We'll do that next. Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, thanks to you guys for listening. Again, Dan Lobby is finishing up his last bit of vacation this week, so uh, we're going to have another interview with somebody from football outsiders scott spratt talking about the browns and fantasy football later this week and then i think we'll have a uh, hey mary Kay, where i'll be asking mary Kay some questions later this week and then next week it's time to roll right scott it's like camp is starting like the full crew is going to be back and we're going to have some new things to talk about i know there's i think for the podcast there's like a, a camp preview a little bit planned for next week what people are most curious to see that kind of thing are, are you eager for for that to be here scott it's happening (laughs) i'm just ready to like hold on tight and it's like the train's leaving and this is going to be a this is going to be a season i don't think we've experienced in a long time especially with you know from a fan standpoint but also from our standpoint of of covering a team that is just expected to do a lot of things i mean we're looking at like a six plus plus month run here 
Like we're yeah. talking like August through February that like we're talking about football in February in Cleveland as something we all have to be thinking about. So it is, it's always one of those things. that's like, Hey, are you guys, is everybody excited for everyone to work like 90 hours a week? And it's like, listen, we love what we do. <laughs> we are privileged to do this. And, but we're, we're, we all realize it's time to strap in because this is potentially like the most important Cleveland Browns football season in 50 years or in X number of years depending how you look at it, maybe ever. And as we've often said with the Browns, since we've kind of gone to this cleveland.com model where we're a digital oriented news company, we've gone to this idea where we're podcasting five days a week. We're just covering the team in a very different way. I mean, and fans consume it in a very different way. And just sort of like the every moment nature of this for you guys listening, for you guys who read us, for you guys who are tech subscribers, like it's awesome. But like there is an avalanche coming and I think it's going to be an avalanche of fun and hope and awesome football stuff. And it's just so different than what it was years ago. And when we went to this model at Cleveland.com in 2013 and really dove into the digital stuff, you know, you guys loved our Browns coverage all along then when they stunk. But we were all excited to see what it felt like to cover a good football team, but not just to cover a good football team, but cover it like in this era of media. And, uh, and I think we do a great job with it in all the variety of ways that we cover this team. And so I know we're all looking forward to it, but all on the other hand, like also strap in. It's always one of those things like, like, Hey, are you excited for the season? It's like, well, I kind of like vacation time too, but now <laughs> we're all ready to just work because it's time for that. And that's what our listeners and readers and subscribers, Scott deserve. They deserve, I mean, we've got Four people on this staff who do nothing but Browns. We have a videographer and David Anderson who provides that part of our coverage, who is almost entirely focused on Browns. We have one of the best sports columnists in the country in Terry Pluto, who knows as much about the Browns as anybody in America. And then I'm here. So like we have a lot of people who are really dedicated to this. And I think we're all eager um, to sort of go on this ride with you guys. So let's talk about this. Aaron Schatz from the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders was on the podcast Tuesday. And Scott, you referenced this. I know you at least looked a little bit at the Football Outsiders, Outsiders Browns chapter. Yeah. And you, you texted this the other day to subscribers that the Browns had one of the worst DVOAs, which is sort of like an overall metric of how good you are. One of the worst for an 11-5 and five team ever with what they did last year. Can you, can you let us in a little bit more on that stat you texted out? Uh, you texted out. Yeah, the line uh, in in the Browns paragraph was the 2020 Browns were the second worst 11 to five team all time by DVOA, and just not to get too much in the weeds about that, but basically it comes down to success rate and how good your offense is uh, at being successful every play versus how good your defense is, and they kind of match that together to get a full team DVOA. Um, there's a league average which is set at zero, so the Browns were at a negative number. The Colts were the only, the 2012 Colts were the only team worse. So it basically comes down to they played above what you would expect based on uh, the success they had. And also, you know, things like point differential. They were minus 11. They give the only playoff team with a negative point differential. Um, they won seven games by a touchdown or less. And I know a lot of people point to the Brown, to the Steelers in the, in the first uh, Ravens loss. Well, they got blown out. That's why it was so bad, but still it was, you know, those seven games that you won by a touchdown or less that kind of, that's not sustainable. And that's like the formula 
that leads to a decline the next year. You know, teams that have a negative point differential or it's really low, but they have a really good record tend to tend to come back to the middle a little bit. You know, maybe you're 11 to five this year, maybe you're eight and eight this year, but football outsiders does point out that the Browns don't necessarily fit that mold because of the defensive changes. And also just they're competent now, you know, this isn't two, three years ago. Uh, they, they showed last season that there's kind of a new alignment and way of thinking in the front office and the coaching staff. And they seem to be on a path that might not be the kind of decline that maybe, you know, that kind of DVOA might suggest. So I don't, I don't want to repeat what, what Aaron and I talked about. So, but I, what I want to do, Scott, is what, what, every question I asked Aaron on Tuesday and for people who listen, like I just, I was like, all these data points, but all these data points, but do you believe that? Because you are, when we do our got to watch the tape podcast, and so we are going to get back to those. We just kind of didn't have any tape, but we are going to get back to those. You know, Ellis, you and Ellis both cover both parts of it, but Ellis leans more film. You lean more numbers. I, I don't think it's not really the way to live to be like, well, I'm going to use data when it fits what I think and I'm going to ignore it when it goes against what I think. But, you know, it's all percentages. It's likelihood, right? I mean, it's all these things. I do, and not just kissing the butts of Browns fans, I do believe that this could be a circumstance where, when you look at the data like that, it doesn't necessarily apply because of the revamp defense, because of Baker having almost two seasons in one last year, because they, they did that with a new coaching staff in a pandemic and almost all parts of that should be improved. I like football outsiders. I respect football outsiders. I don't want to cherry pick, but the idea that this might be a team that is the exception to the rule makes sense to me. I want your take on that. We know what they think. What do you think of sort of viewing it through that lens? Well, first off last season's team, I do think they, they played the defense was bad. All right. And the defense got by because of all the turnovers they, they created. And that again can fluctuate from year to year. It's hard to sustain that as a defense. So the defense really dragged down what this team was going to be. I don't think it was a case of like, say, the 1980 uh, Browns, the cardiac kids who won a ton of close games and really played above themselves in the next year, you know, nothing. I think you're right that the changes they made this offseason lead you to believe that they addressed the things that held them back in terms of like DVOA, things like that this year. And really that 2012 Colts team, is what they want to be because the next year, well, first off that 2012 Colts team, they had three huge losses by 20 points or more. And they, I think it was nine, eight or nine games. They won by a touchdown or less. So very similar to the Browns, like their losses were blowout losses that year. The next year though, they went 11 and five again. They only had two really bad losses and they reduced those close wins from nine to five. So they were winning more games by bigger margins. And the year after that, they went 11 to five again and they still had a few bad losses that year, but they were crushing teams in the games that they won. They only had four wins by a TD or less and their point differential was like almost a hundred. So there was like, you know, they kind of evolved away from that team that, that had to pull out a lot of close games to, to a team that was not having those close games and really crushing teams in their wins. So that's, I think what the Browns want to try and do. And I think, 
we've talked all off seasons about all these great moves they've made. If, if all that stuff happens, you're off, all those players are plugged in and do what everybody expects them to do. then that's the kind of path that this team could be on. I think the dangerous thing that DVO, I can tell you is if you go 11 and five as a franchise and you're like, wow, we're awesome. And then you rest on your laurels in the off season. And it's like, listen, man, there were some things that kind of broke your way, but the Browns went 11 and five and revamped like they went five and 11. They completely overhauled the defense. And then you look at the offense and it's like, I don't know that anybody is saying like, yeah, well, all Baker Mayfield has to do is be the same as last year. I think everybody realizes Baker needs to be better and everybody thinks he will be better. And that just means like build on the second half of the year after some first half mistakes. Odell Beckham, they need more from Odell Beckham because of the injury. Okay, well, you know, you can't anticipate a guy's going to have a seizing ending injury two years in a row. So they need more from Odell. We think it's reasonable to get that. Miles Garrett had COVID. You need Miles Garrett to be what he was in the first half all season. That's a reasonable thing to expect. So I think what's tied into the Browns is nobody franchise specifically, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, nobody is looking at last year and saying like, that's it. That's what we need to replicate. They're like, no, 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 no. We need to be better. And there are, you can, I think, look at 10 different ways in which they are going to be better. And so I think that is why you can see Scott, how, if you are a, if you are beholden to the record, you can trick yourself, and that's where I think the data has enhanced the game. Because there's enough. I've heard enough coaches over the years say, "Look at the scoreboard. Look at the scoreboard." It's like, yes, I know you're right, but now when we anticipate the future, you know, maybe you're not going to recover three fumbles in the next game like you just did, just did to win that game by four, right? Let's look at. How did you play? How did you match up? What did the numbers tell us? That's where DVOA is valuable. And the reason I think it doesn't apply to the Browns when you anticipate this year is because they didn't say that was good enough. And I bet you there are teams in the past, especially when you apply it and you look back at history, Scott, before teams thought this way and you look backwards and say, oh, look, here's this team back in 1984 that did this. But the DVA actually showed this, and then look what happened to them. They fell off a cliff. And it's like, yeah, because they didn't even know it. The Browns are hyper aware of this, and they've rectified, they've rectified the mistakes of an 11-5 and team, honestly, is what they've done. And that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I think it would be easy to look at this team and say, well, they were 11-5. and You have the entire offense coming back, and you got Odell Beckham Jr. coming back off his injury. And the secondary led the league in missed games due to injury. If that group can just stay healthy, well, then, then you're golden, you know? That, that could have been easy to, to come into the season and do minimal changes and just think that it was a, as a case of, well, we got continuity and, we're gonna, and, and if we could just get these guys back healthy, uh, Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams come back, well, you're all good. But they didn't, you know, like you said, there, there's more to it. You have to dive into it. And obviously this front office and, and coaching staff understand how to – you know, pick apart and, and analyze why things didn't work. And it's more than just injury. It was actually performance issues and scheme issues based on the fact that you didn't have the kind of players you needed maybe to do the things you really wanted to do on defense um, and also on offense late in the season after Beckham got hurt. So they paid attention to that. They didn't, you know, they didn't just buy into the record, like you said, and they made changes. So I think those are the two ends of the spectrum. It's like, oh, did you listen to Orange and Brown talk on Wednesday? It's like, no, I missed it. What did they talk about? Oh, barbarian movies and football stats. It's like, oh, cool. 
That sounds like a very cohesive podcast. So I can't tell if that's like opposite ends of the spectrum, Scott, or if it all kind of wraps around that. It's that's, like, you know what? If you like barbarian movies, you probably do like football stats. Maybe it's the same thing. That's the headline for this barbarian movies and football stats. Just, I just guarantee put that on there. I guarantee it. That is the headline that will, that is appearing on this podcast. I guarantee that. <laughs> All right, Scott Pasco, always a pleasure. I don't know what else other hidden things you have in store for us from the archives of a uh, 16 year old Scott Patsco, whatever else you were doing back in 1986. I, I've got two cassette tapes full of songs about the early eighties, Cleveland Browns. We can, we can dissect those uh, during the bye week. <laughs> Sounds like a bye week. Look forward to that. Orange and Brown talk audience. All right. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Again, a great time to at least ponder, at least check out being a Browns insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, go to the blue banner, check out what you get. We're not blowing smoke. I just think it's a good value. Like you've got to love them. Right. And again, I think it's like, this is a great place to sort of hype Brown's insider, Scott, because again, we just talked about barbarian uh, Brown's barbarian movies for 25 minutes. And if you got, if you're hearing me right now, you love them. You're not like, a, uh, I could take or leave the Browns. You love the Browns. So check out the insider. And uh, we appreciate everybody who makes the orange and Brown talk part podcast part of their week. For Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Dan Lobby back next week. Thanks to you guys for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.